Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. And our guest today, I'm very excited for our guest today. He is the newly minted host and analyst for Sports Illustrated Gambling and Fantasy Sections. Don't don't hold that against him. We'll avoid gambling discussion in this. It'll be very professional, we swear. He was also most recently on the other side of the microphone as the host and executive producer of the Awful Announcing Podcast. Prior to that, his career has spanned various media, including online, radio, and TV. We're going to chat a little bit about career research and transition. Ben Heisler, welcome to the show. Hello, Brent. Hello, Matt. It's good to be with both of you. I know you said that you're not going to bring up gambling anymore. I bet you $5 that uh, you don't bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) Straight in, you had to drop that bomb, man. I just walked right into that, didn't I? (laughs) I feel like I tried to paraphrase from that one line, Dumb and Dumber, and completely botched it. But regardless, I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Yeah, no, we're th- we're thrilled to have you, man. So actually, you might talk a little bit about gambling. That's okay. We the first question we're going to ask you is to tell us about your new gig at Sports Illustrated. It was a major coup for you, and you and I had been talking weeks leading up. So very excited for you. Tell us about the new gig. Well, I appreciate that. This came about sort of a couple of weeks ago and ended up starting late last Friday. So I've been there now almost a week. But yeah, it, it's a wide variety of roles, and, and I'm sure this will we'll come back to this in a little bit. But I am a host, analyst, writer, and editor for two of Sports Illustrated's vertical sections in fantasy sports, along with sports betting. They call it the gambling side, but I imagine that's probably going to change over to sports betting at some point. But it's a kind of everything. You know, I'm going to be diving in into deep content, a lot of uh, uh, rankings and for fantasy football season. Once sports comes back, we'll be able to go and really try to evaluate some of the key matchups for the day, try to figure out where the different lines are moving and following a lot of the information from the boys out in the desert over in Las Vegas and where those lines are going to be set. It's a fascinating time, especially as more parts of the country continue to have the conversations about legalizing sports betting and where that process goes. And we'll be covering that as well since it's slowly moving out of this taboo world where, you know, it felt like it was kind of a shady industry to the point where now you're starting to see it in almost 20 states and it continues to move forward. So I'm thrilled about the opportunity to connect in so many different ways with two industries that I have a passion for. Yeah, it's very timely. You bring up that component of the legalization of gambling too. And we could spend a great deal of time talking about that. But as you have states and you've got the economy looking to generate revenue, that certainly could be another way where folks are looking to bring in more revenue to their areas is through the sports betting angle. So that's an interesting, interesting topic. I'm going to file that away for a later conversation between you and me that I know we'll be having soon. So, Absolutely. Plenty to dive into for, for a deep dive of this conversation. No, that's very cool. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks, Ben. Hey, I want to turn the conversation just a bit to to your career because I, I was going through your profile. It's very interesting. It's hard enough to look for a job and then land a job, even in good times. And and you pulled it off during a pandemic. <laughs> so, inquiring minds, you know, a lot of what we do is help help marketing professionals grow and learn. And you landed your new job during this very trying time for many. A couple of things, maybe that you believe helped you with your job search, or just talk about that 
that journey during and just particularly during this time? I think it's a great question, Matt. And I will also say that while I was able to land a job in a pandemic, I was laid off before the pandemic began. So a, a lot of it is 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 good luck and, and being incredibly fortunate. But I would say I really tried to take advantage of the informational interview over the course of, of my months while I was, you know, searching for the next full-time opportunity. It, it, this was sort of implanted into my head as, as a young high school radio DJ when I was trying to get Chicago sports personalities to come on my high school radio show that I had no business getting on. But uh, all it takes is a phone call, an email, an opportunity to say, this is something that I love and I'm passionate about, would love an opportunity to work together. And the other thing that I think people tend to forget about the informational interview is that it should really be two-way. You know, you're not reaching out just so they can help you. I, I think the biggest mistake that maybe a lot of students will make is they'll reach out to somebody that they're interested in and say, you know, I, I'd love to work for you. I'd love to get a job. And they have a lot on their plate already. Now, if you have questions, if you have ideas that you want to be able to brainstorm, most people in that industry love to have those conversations. And they love to be about helping out down the road, or maybe they'll recognize you for an opportunity down the road. And just from a very young age, I, I knew that that was, you know, from a networking side, that's so important, especially in the in the media business as well. So I'd say a combination of a ton of informational interviews, a lot of networking. LinkedIn was my new best friend for, for several months during the course of this process. And it really helped me connect with a wide variety of people. And actually, the people at Sports Illustrated saw some of my freelance work that I was putting out there while I wasn't employed by anybody. And so they noticed that I was hustling as best I could in the middle of the pandemic, knowing that I needed to try and get myself noticed. In a fairly organic fashion, I really wasn't trying to make it about me, 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 me. But instead, I wanted people to know that, hey, I was working with some really interesting people or I was highlighting the guests that I was bringing on my shows to really try to open up more perspective there. And I think that's something that was really, really helpful along the way because you never know who's watching. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the informational interview. You know, we've, we've had a few episodes now and that really is a topic that hasn't come up, but it, it's so important you know, gosh, I've done a, a number of them in former lives. And a lot of times, of course, you're as, as the employer, not really in a hiring mode, right? But there's something about, you know, the initiative that somebody shows when they're asking for an informational interview. I always said yes. And I always ended up getting a little bit of something out of it. And hopefully they did. They did as well. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And, and even it, it, sometimes it feels weird. I've had a couple college students from my alma mater at Indiana University in Bloomington reach out to me asking for an informational interview. And I'm thinking like, God, I just graduated, what, 10, 11 years ago? I'm already at the point where people are asking me for informational interviews, but it does feel good knowing that this is somebody that took initiative, like you mentioned, and somebody that is going about it the right way, and they understand the right way to meet people. And I'm sure at some point, you know, they might say, hey, if, if you have any ideas or any suggestions about the possibility of where I could go next, and, and that's totally fine. But they weren't just going and saying, hey, I need a job and I need you to help me. That that's not a two-way street. That's just somebody that is coming out of the blue saying, what can you do to help me when it should really be, how can we help each other? Well said. Well said. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I, I want to ask you about this too, because even though you landed the gig with Sports Illustrated, you've talked about the informational interview and maybe make a distinction between the informational interview and even ongoing networking, right? Because you and I had had a conversation and, and, as part of that conversation leading up to this discussion, I knew you had landed the gig and I said, well, are you still having conversations with people? And you're like, by all means. And I'm like, well, explain that process to me. 
and and you did it so eloquently so what i'll have you explain that to our listeners right a little bit about what networking truly is and the way you kind of framed it for me when we were having that that chat yeah i think so much of it is just sort of the learning process right like you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a marketer by trade. I'd spent eight, nine years working in radio. And then after that, I was approached by a, a startup daily fantasy company called Fantasy Sports Markets that wanted me to run, in a sense, their, their daily operations, but it was more the director of media operations. I mean, we're a small startup, so you're doing a thousand things anyway. But I, I don't think I, I get that opportunity if I don't try to learn from really smart people in the marketing space learn a thing or two about the opportunity to handle crisis PR and know how to send out a statement and be able to write. Everybody that you talk to in different industries is just going to help inform you and, and become smarter in whatever industry you're in. You know, it's like when if somebody's in college and I don't want this to come across as people maybe narrowing their their points of view and perspectives, but you know, a lot of people that I went to school with were, were sport broadcast majors. And so that sort of carves out a very you know, specific path. I want to go into sports broadcasting. You know how many sports broadcasting jobs there are? It's not a lot. And I was told you know, by somebody really smart in the radio industry is the best thing about being on radio that people will take away is if you're interesting, not how much sports you know or how many statistics you can remember. Just be interesting and, and know how to write. Because if you know how to write, it will help you in almost any opportunity that you have in your life. And so that's why I ended up being a journalism major. Because even though I'm not a traditional journalist, I wouldn't call myself a journalist right now. You know, I, I, I cover sports, but I know how to be able to put content together. And I know how to do it on a deadline. And I know everything that I'm doing involves writing in some capacity. So by broadening out your horizons and talking to as many people as you can and learning as much as you can about their industry, it's only going to help you be more prepared in the event that you have to leave your industry. You know, I thought I was going to be in radio for life. And when I had that realization that I wasn't going to be, it was a pretty sobering experience. So then to be able to come back into media with a lot of other lessons from running a startup and handling marketing and strategic communications, that's incredibly, incredibly useful information. Yeah. And that, that notion of Matt and I'll often joke, he's the PhD. I'm the school of hard knocks, right? And in, in this <laughs> conversation, there's a lot of school of hard knocks in there. And one of the things we've had a lot of conversations specific to this time of specialization, but you just made a great argument for versatility right there. Yeah. I think you can do both though. I, I, I think you can go down a certain path knowing that this is something that you're passionate about and I don't want to necessarily call it a backup plan, but you can bring so many more creative ideas to what you want to do if you have the skill set to learn other industries. Like my, my brother was recently furloughed from a company called Let Us Entertain You, which is a Chicago restaurant group. It's the largest restaurant group in Chicago. And he's a really creative, smart guy. But now he all of a sudden he's, you know, he's furloughed, he's looking for a new opportunity. So he decided, you know, I'm gonna start taking classes. I'm gonna start learning how to use a program like Shopify to be able to get myself in a position where I can expand my horizons. He knows what he wants to do. He enjoys the work that he was doing before, but if he can expand his abilities in whatever job that's asking that of him, it's gonna be able to allow him to stand out over other other competition. I'm so glad you talked about versatility, Ben, because 
you know, I work at a school of journalism and, and it's difficult now, given what's happened to, you know, traditional media and some of the contraction there for young students who come in to sort of see a path, right? You know, to your point, if it's sports broadcasting, well, that's fairly finite, but if it's something in strategic communications, it can be hard for them to visualize what that would be because that's sort of the other half of what we do at the, at the J schools these days. So I think your point about just remaining versatile and then some of those skills around writing, content creation, inquisitiveness that I think you, you really get and curiosity through the journalism education are absolutely valid across different industries, not just what we would think of as traditional journalism. I admire the fact that you've held on to your, your journalism roots. Indiana had a fairly prestigious journalism school, the Ernie Pyle School of Journalism, sure. which has since become the Mark Cuban Media School. So journalism now has sort of gone into a more of a telecommunications-based program, which I suppose is twofold. You know, I, I miss traditional journalism programs. I think it's so important and it's so essential that it's taught. At the same time, if you're looking at the trajectory of, of where journalism is going, I think there's also some positives to know exactly how to be able to, to market yourself within the context of your writing and still be able to have journalistic integrity there. There's, sure. It's twofold and it, it's a strange place to be in at times. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely a strange place to be. And you touched on the Mark Cuban component of this. And it's one of the things that I appreciate about the journalism education and the journalism program. It's also about problem solving and strategic thinking. Right. So there's there's a lot of that and that you've exemplified that even through a lot of your transition. And I'm sure you exemplified that and heard a lot of that through some of the stories that you picked up on in the conversations with the podcast that you've been holding for a couple of years now, where you have been talking to different media types that are more the, the traditional sports journalists. So you were the host for several years of a podcast where you explore media personality careers called the Awful Announcing Podcast. Maybe give us a, a sense of the show's purpose. I would say that the show's purpose kind of changed over time. It was initially an opportunity to use this platform as Awful Announcing, which is a, a major sports blog that was sort of evaluating and discussing the news in sports media. You know, if there was announcement about ratings for the NFL, they would have something there. If Stephen A. Smith went on a tirade about Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, that, that would be covered. There'd be opinion. There would be news. And the podcast was brought back uh, because we were looking for more of a long-form opportunity to interview interesting names and interesting personalities in sports media. And, and you know, 55 episodes later, I would say the goal of that podcast was to not really ask them the questions that everybody had asked them, but more give it a platform as an opportunity to learn about their background, how they developed an initial interest in their field, in their craft. Who were their early influences? That's one of my favorite questions mm -hmm. to ask, you know, these incredible broadcasters that are on ESPN and Fox and, and CBS and, and, you know, titans in the industry like Joe Buck and, and Ian Eagle. You know, I, I love asking them this question, too, of, of when did they find their voice in broadcasting? Because especially for, for a lot of young broadcasters, and I would even say, you know, even though I've been doing this for about 10, 11 years, I'm still working on this is trying to find the point in your broadcast career where you're not trying to emulate anybody but yourself. 
you know? And I, I think I, I remember growing up and I wanted to be a little bit like Dan Bernstein in Chicago and Jim Rome and, you know, have some broadcast and, and sound like Ian Eagle and Neil Funk, the, the voice of the Bulls and Pat Hughes, the voice of the Cubs. And at some point you just kind of have to take all those things and make it be you. You have to be your authentic self. So I love hearing those stories from so many of these broadcasters and when they started to feel confident on the air and, and also just, you know, have some fun with them too. Like I found out from, I, I mentioned Ian Eagle, I found out that he was trying to sign up for Uber one time and he signed up incorrectly and he made himself an Uber driver as opposed to an Uber passenger. I've done, <laughs> I've done that as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I had an opportunity to find out Pablo Torre of ESPN where he, he likes to do karaoke and how he would challenge anybody you know, learning from from Matthew Barry of ESPN about being able to be in a Marvel movie. You know, so there's there's plenty of fun stuff and, and fun conversations that you can have without necessarily going down the traditional road of, you know, what first got you interested in broadcasting or what is your favorite part about your job? And they've been asked that before, but I think the really fun part about that show was trying to take something from their their early parts of their career and be able to expand upon it and learn more about sort of their beginning and, and ultimately how it's manifested itself into what they do now. You know, I, I was got a chance to listen to some of your episodes and they're really terrific, Ben. It's a, it's a great podcast. I'd highly recommend it to anybody. And you mentioned uh, one of the, Brent and I were talking before that one of the beauties of kind of this long form interview platform that we've got with podcasts is that every once in a while, you kind of have that golden moment, right? In, in the course of your podcast that maybe you weren't expecting that, that, you know, the interview subject comes forward with and you're sort of like, aha, that's so, so glad we, we captured that. Any, any story or anything like that from any of your tri- – I mean, because you're talking to Joe Buck and Chris Fowler, as you mentioned, and some of these great announcers, radio or uh, sports personalities in, in media. Any, any story or two that really stuck out during that time? I, I don't want to be prisoner of, of recent, you know, podcasts, but those are the ones that probably stand out the most. Adam Amin, who just left ESPN to become one of the lead play-by-play broadcasters at Fox. And actually, I just found out yesterday that he's also going to be the new television play-by-play voice for the Chicago Bulls, which is pretty cool. He's a, a hometown guy, mid-30s, being able to come back. And just like Jason Benetti, who was his, his longtime broadcaster at ESPN, still there, gets to come back home, be the voice of the White Sox. And that's a guy that I've known for, for many, many years. But I love the story that Adam Amin told about this is while the last dance had just wrapped up the 10 part documentary series about Michael Jordan, and the Chicago bulls from that 98 season. And, and Adam Amin's dad was a, a Pakistani immigrant moved to Chicago in the, the late 1970s and obviously got sort of immersed in, you know, the bulls culture. He actually was a, a cub fan first and foremost from, you know, watching some bad cubs teams, but he enjoyed WGN and Harry Carey, and and he sort of passed on that love of sports to to Adam. But you know his his father ended up passing away suddenly, and it was very impactful for him. And the, the next game that he had a chance to call was a, a Golden State Warriors game. And you know he had grown up idolizing Steve Kerr, and it was one of his father's favorite players. And and I'm sure most people know the story about about Steve Kerr's father who was assassinated out in the Middle East. It's certainly just an absolute tragic story. But, you know, they're doing their their pregame interview. He's learning, you know, about what's going on with the team. And at the end, you know, just in a moment of just purely humanity, Adam just reaches out to, to Steve and says, you know, I just want to let you know that my 
my father adored you. Like he, you were one of his all-time favorite players. He, he loved what you represented and stood for and admired your, your tenacity. And, and Steve said, you know, thank you. And they sort of had a moment and talked about their, their fathers a little bit. And it was a pretty compelling answer for just someone who just sort of knew about Steve Kerr as a kid, but now had a chance to, to grow up and, and cover games that he was a part of and sort of bring these worlds together. So I, I really admired that story. And then I also really enjoyed talking to Joe Buck, who I've actually had an opportunity to, to really get to know over the last several years as somebody who came back to Indiana where, where he was a semester away from, from graduating, ended up leaving because the St. Louis Cardinals offered him a job. So I don't see why you, you go ahead and finish that if the Cardinals are offering you that job. You, know, you don't want to let your schooling interfere with your education. But I loved his openness to really look back at himself and and sort of where he struggled and getting into the business at such a young age and being so tough and critical on himself and and sort of that transition over the course of his life, being able to to laugh at himself. He also told a great story about his dad, the the late great Jack Buck, along with like Pat Summerall and and a few other guys, and they had just done the ice bowl, I believe. And so they were leaving Green Bay in like negative 10 degree weather. They all got an airplane and they were all pretty liquored up. And the, the plane basically like skidded off the runway to which most people would have been terrified. But Jack Buck and, and Pat Summerall and the rest of those guys, they, they didn't even feel a thing because they were so lubed up from, from their time after you know, drinking post game. So he told some fun stories about that. But you really, you know, if you go back and you listen to some of these interviews, it's long form, so there's an opportunity to expand and really dive into some really interesting characters and, and stories behind that. I, I hope I didn't ramble on too much from that. No, no, that's exactly. I think what we were looking for was to give it a sense of the essence of each of the shows, and that's the beauty of that show. It's unlike a lot of other things that we're finding that would be sports-related. You and I have talked about my my 17-year-old son off off the air, right? he's thinking about doing the, I hate skip Bayless show, right? (laughs) He's thinking about cornering the market on that show. And there really isn't a show that, that explores these media personalities and their beginnings. We had the, that conversation a couple of weeks ago about Savannah Guthrie. And uh, one day she happened to open up on the today show. I forget the, the Genesis of the story, but she ended up talking about how she was a flunky in high school. And it wasn't until she graduated from high school that, and she got in, she barely got into college and something clicked in her college experience. It said, this is what I want to do as a career. I need to get serious. And then, you know, she ends up getting her law degree and then finds this circuitous path to becoming onto the, the, the day show. And I'm sitting there thinking she should write a book about her experiences because she could share that with so many kids just explaining about you could you could mail it in or you have a choice to make about your life right so i think a lot of the things you've done with awful announcing you talk about joe buck too because i've heard joe in interviews talk about you talk about not trying to emulate one person imagine that shadow with his dad yeah very hard to- oh yeah absolutely and he, he talked very candidly about it and you know and he actually has a podcast now called called daddy issues uh, that he hosts with uh, with Oliver Hudson, who you know has his own you know daddy issues of, of as well with his mom being Goldie Hawn and his stepdad being Kurt Russell. 
trying to be able to sort of establish himself within that hierarchy of the family. But yeah, Joe talked about the enormous pressure that it put on himself. And from the very beginning, you know, local and, and national reporters were saying that him getting that Cardinals job was offensive, you know, and he used to take it very seriously when the idea of nepotism was played in. And now he kind of shrugs it off and says, yeah, like he leans into the joke. And, and that takes that takes a lot of courage, I, I think, to know that this is something that had been used as a weapon against you for a long time to be able to say, yeah, if, if you think it was nepotism, that's fine. I'm sure it would helped. You know, I probably don't get that job if not for my dad, but, you know, I had to work at it, too. And I've ended up calling some good games along the way. And so I admire him for that. Yeah. The the reality is if he stunk, he'd be off the air. Exactly. At some point, <laughs> nepotism only goes so far. Yeah. Put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, yeah, it maybe offers a crack, but you gotta you gotta deliver once you open the door. <laughs> that's right. Um, Without question. Yeah, that's cool. You still have me thinking though now. You mentioned this like 10 minutes ago, and I now I'm gonna have to go into IMDB about what Marvel movie Matthew Barry is in because i've seen it was a marvel movie right that's what you would say I, I believe it was the avengers i don't know which avengers there's been like a thousand of them but i'm pretty sure he's like a security guard in one of the avengers movies all right now now i'm gonna have to check out imdb after we're, we're finished with this discussion so well great stories ben anything you'd like to mention to our listeners again this is around marketing professional development another piece of advice or or items a little bit of wisdom in the your job search that you'd like to share with our listeners that we may have missed i think we covered a lot of it like i said i I think versatility especially you know as companies are slowly starting to get themselves back on track is just incredibly useful and incredibly important to show that you don't just have to work in in one lane of a marketing department for a company that you can handle a wide variety of skills that you can write, that you can communicate well. It it really does go far. And just, this is going to sound very cliche, but just treat people well, you know, write thank you notes, send follow-ups. Just if you sort of present that you're somebody that anybody can work with, and I've always sort of prided myself on that, that I, I really try to leave my ego at the door and I suppose that I absolutely can now since I work remote. My ego is basically just sort of in the closet somewhere that my wife probably swept up and, and cleaned up and put off to the side. But knowing that you can work with anybody and having your employer be able to see that and recognize that, they're going to want to keep you around because that's not you, they, you don't get that everywhere. And I think that's an incredibly important skill set to know that even if you know your coworkers may not necessarily vibe with what you typically like, if you can work with them and if you can help everybody put on an opportunity to be in a really good, positive workplace, you'll enjoy showing up to work and so will they. Yeah, well said. Great words of wisdom, Ben. Thank you. And certainly your career is one to be emulated with with the success you've had. It's still a relatively young age. So thanks for being with us. And I got to tell you, you, you made me feel old in one sense because you dropped a <laughs> reference since we're talking announcers. You dropped a Neil Funk reference. My first NBA game was in 1977. Brent, I bet I have you by a few years. And it was, let's see, the Kansas City Kings and, and New Orleans Jazz with Pistol Pete Maravich at Kemper Arena. And Neil Funk was the play-by-play announcer of the Kansas City Kings that year. So now I really feel old. Thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, I will tell you this. My, my father-in-law, Phil Hermanson, would do, play, would do play-by-play, but he was the, the public address announcer 
for the the Kansas City Kings. I, I know believe. Phil absolutely. I didn't know. You. Oh wow, I know Phil. Okay, Kansas City area. It's a small community. Everybody knows. <laughs> We've said that many times. Yeah, <laughs> Ben, I explained the mother-in-law connection before to Matt before you arrived. So yeah, Kansas City is a very small place. Well, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and spending a little time and sharing some stories with us. Really appreciate all the words of wisdom about versatility, that your last parting gift around culture fit, and just, you know, being likability is a huge part of this thing too. So appreciate all your words tonight and appreciate you joining us. Absolutely, Brent, Matt, thank you guys so much for having me and, and love what you guys are doing with the show to, to try and help a lot of people out. This is really cool. So thank you for having me. All right, man. You take care. You bet. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketer.